All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. Five, four, three, two, one. This is Hot Takes, featuring Paul Bartholet, Jake Sullivan, Guy Zerubi, and Thor Silva. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the steamiest podcast out there, Hot Takes. I am your host, Polly B, Paul Berthelet. we got the boss of South Shore, Jay Sullivan, the only Islanders fan in the country, Guy Sarubi, and the God of Lightning, Thor Silva. Um, how is everyone doing today? Doing pretty good, Paul. Yeah, doing pretty good. Got the match on right now, uh, closing down to the end of that. So it's, it's been a pretty entertaining one so yeah, far. Yeah, doing great. Yeah, I can't complain. It's nice weather. Memorial Day is tomorrow, so a lot of good stuff going on. Um, if you are new to our show, we are four Bryant University students who started a sports radio show on campus and want to continue to give the world some more quality sports content with our podcast. So most, so mostly we've been talking about like some stuff like the upcoming seasons, like the NFL, and we're going to break that down some more as we head into the AFC North, as we break down and do off-season reviews and break it up by divisions. So like there's a lot of stuff. Not not like a huge amount of stuff to talk about with the quarantine, but we're we're trying to give you some quality content. And Jake will start off start us off first with the uh, news of the week. Yeah, Paul, we got to give that got to give that content to the people. So our first story is going to start with the NFL, where the Cowboys and Dak Prescott are in the midst of a contract dispute. Prescott is listed on the franchise tag for this season. But uh, he's looking to reset the QB market, actually. He's looking for a contract north of $40 million, probably $45 million in annual average value. Expanding on a story from last week uh, involving Giants corner DeAndre Baker and Seahawks corner Quinton Dunbar. Both are awaiting a date for trial uh, after that alleged assault and robbery down in the Miami area. Baker claims to have been playing Madden with Dunbar and other friends at the gathering in which the shooting happened. Uh, and left upon the dispute breaking out. Moving on to the NCAA, uh, NCAA football stands to lose over $4 billion in revenue if universities are unable to justify bringing students back for the fall semester. Considering they have already lost over a billion dollars from the cancellation of March Madness, this would be another major hit courtesy of the COVID-19 pandemic. In some strange news, uh, Carlos Correa, the shortstop for the Houston Astros, has expressed interest in participating in a UFC fight. He said specifically that he would like to know the feeling of getting knocked out in the octagon. Uh, probably could name a few people who would like to take their shot at the Astros uh, based on the events of this offseason. Of course, with the cheating scandal, um, apparently you can't bang trash cans in the octagon. The NBA and NHL have officially gotten the ball rolling on setting up a definitive plan for completing their season in late July and early August. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later on. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff in the news this week. But, like, I, I think the big thing that comes out to me is the Carlos Correa news. Because, like, like first off, he's a big dude. He's 6'4", 215. Like, he can handle himself. But I, I know a lot of people that would love to take shots at him right now. Uh, it, it's interesting. He said he wants to be knocked out. I like, want to see I, Trevor Bauer he, knock him out. He, speci- he specifically said... That he wants to know the feeling of being knocked out in the octagon. Uh, it was It's a strange, strange uh, piece of words. I wonder me. if it's going to feel like the 100-mile-an-hour fastball that somebody's going to throw at his helmet during uh, once the season actually starts up again. <laughs> hey, he'll, he'll get prepared. Like, once he goes through the season, gets hit, like, 20 times, and then goes into the UFC, like, he'll be ready to go. So maybe if he wants to transition to that, good for him. And also, like, Dak Prescott, first off, like I get what he, he he's doing. Like he wants forty five million dollars, like whatever. But like, I don't think he's gonna get it. It's definitely interesting news. And like I was discussing this with a guy a couple days ago. If Dak Prescott gets forty five million dollars, we could be headed for a lockout because players are gonna be asking for more and more money. Patrick Mahomes, for example, is gonna be like, if Dak Prescott's getting forty five million dollars, I deserve a whole lot more. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, at, at least Mahomes and Watson, are, they feel like blank check guys, like, like name your price, we'll pay it. Prescott does not. He, he, he's just not on that level. So I think the issue lies with other position groups uh, feeling like they deserve to get paid uh, at least more it, uh, balanced with the level that quarterbacks get paid in the NFL. Yeah, and this is this is the make or break season for the Cowboys and for Dak Prescott as he's heading to a contract year. And the Cowboys obviously need to make the playoffs with their stacked roster, but we'll get to them later on in like more shows coming up in weeks ahead. But we're gonna start off with the AFC North. So a lot of good stuff coming from all these teams. Um, I know a lot of them have added to their rosters, and I think all of them really have improved from the previous season. So we're gonna kick it off with um the Bengals. So they've made a lot of key additions to their team, mostly from the draft. But let's let's see the breakdown for the Bengals. Yeah, Paul, it's it's definitely my favorite. You know me; I'm a big Bengals fan. Uh, looking at the Bengals, they've been actually been pretty busy this off season. Uh, they get Von Bell, the safety from the Saints, uh, coming over. They got DJ Reader, who's a really underrated defensive tackle. Um, he's coming over too, and then out of Minnesota. We got Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, the two corners for that stellar Vikings defense. Uh, they're both coming over. So pretty good additions overall, uh, definitely stepping up that defense for the Bengals. As far as losses go, obviously the most high profile here is Andy Dalton, uh, leaving the team and signing with the Cowboys upon his release. You also have a leader like Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, the corner for this Bengals defense for the past couple years. Uh, he left. You also have Tyler Eifert. Uh, the starting tight end who was often injured over the past six or seven years for the Bengals. He signed with Jacksonville. Uh, and you also have Corey Glenn um, and Darquise Denard leaving the team. In the draft, obviously, first overall pick, you get Joe Burrow. He's fantastic in, at LSU. Really excited to see what he brings to this Bengals offense. You have T. Higgins in the second round, a great, really dominant red zone threat. Coming out of Clemson. Uh, and then in the third round, you have Logan Wilson, a linebacker. Um, one of the weakest groups for the Bengals right now is that linebacker core. So hopefully this move really helps them there. Moving on to MVP. Uh, for me, I think Geno Atkins. You know, he's been one of the best D tackles in the league. He's very dominant. Um, I, I love how the Bengals are really approaching the defensive line here. Geno Atkins and DJ Reader, I think they're going to be two of the best defensive tackles, really stopping the run and, you know, putting pressure on the quarterback. Moving on to wildcard, we got John Ross. Some of you might remember John Ross as one of the candidates to break um, the 40-yard dash record. John Ross, uh, he's actually in the roster bubble right now after drafting T. Higgins the second. He's really get the speed of Tyreek Hill, but he doesn't have any of the route running or catching ability. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see, you know, is he working out of the slot? Is he even going to have a real position on this team if all the spots are filled after A.J. Green was brought back? You know, kind of interesting. On that same line, the breakout candidate for the Bengals is going to be T. Higgins. Again, the wide receiver taking the second round. Six foot four, you know, 220 pounds. Coming out of Clemson, huge red zone threat, a guy who can really snag passes, especially since the Bengals don't really have a tight end option right now. And then moving on to the news for this offseason, I mean, I already mentioned these two points, um, but QB Andy Dalton getting cut to the Cowboys while John Ross, uh, his fifth year option was actually denied. So kind of rare that you see uh, first round talent who with, you know, incredible physical gifts um, not getting extended. So overall, I'd give the Bengals probably a B for this offseason. I do think that they made the right moves in the right spots. The issue now is, you know, you got to get over that learning curve. I don't think they do it this season. I'm saying 4-12. and 12. Yeah, they filled in a lot of holes on defense, which I kind of forgot about. Uh, Von Bell and DJ Reader were very valuable parts of their defenses in New Orleans and Houston. So I thought those are good pickups. Uh, and then two solid corners coming over from Minnesota, Trey Waynes, Alexander, like you said, Jake. So they definitely filled some holes there with uh, through free agency and then through the draft. Uh, I love the T. Higgins uh, pick in the second round. That, that was a steal there and a perfect guy to help develop with Burrow. 
Uh, but I think the uh, the O-line is still a work in progress in a division with a lot of super good defensive fronts. So I think uh, it's going to take another offseason or two for them to start contending. But yeah. they're definitely in the right direction. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest question mark here, uh, besides John Ross, is left tackle Jonah Williams, who was injured all of his rookie year. This is the guy that the Bengals picked last year in the first round to be their dominant left tackle to protect their you know, franchise QB should they draft one, and now they have one in Joe Burrow. So I'm really excited to see how Jonah Williams does. I still think it, you know, you take a year off, you know, maybe next year you get an 8-8 eight and eight record. Year after that, maybe you see some playoff success. You forget they have Joe Mixon, too, who really came on strong towards the end of last season. Uh, so uh, a guy that's uh, going into a, a contract year. Uh, so this is a big year for him. He's going to want to show out and be a big part of the offense. Yeah, Joe Mixon, he really showed up in the second half of the season, you know, after the regular season of fantasy football ends. He, you know, he has some nice games. Yeah, Not Jake bitter Hammer about is, that at all. Jake Hammer on his team didn't, wasn't a great pick? I mean, it was, wasn't bad, but like, where he was picked, it wasn't, not great. Start, of, start of the second round was a, a tough pick for me. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think, like, the Bengals, they made some great steps forward. I don't think they're going to be competitive this year or the next year. But, like you said, you have 4-12, next year maybe 8-8, and eight, and next year maybe a playoff run. So maybe, they, I mean, they made the quali- made quality steps, and I agree with everything you said. Uh, great for the offseason to be in record 4-12. and 12. But now we're going to switch to the other um, Orange team in the AFC North, and that is the Cleveland Browns, who had made huge improvements. They had a big offseason last year. Uh, big expectations, and it just kind of fell off the table. It didn't do as well as they thought they were going to do. And um, now they had a huge offseason, another huge offseason, and let's have Guy break down their whole all their moves and like some of the breakout players and MVPs. Yeah, so the Cleveland Browns win a disappointing 6-10 um, and uh, record. Uh, for the team that was the most bet on to win the Super Bowl, this was really disappointing. But I really never bought into the hype uh, surrounding the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. There were still a lot of holes in this offense, and I never once for a second believed in rookie head coach Freddie Kitchens, who was the running backs coach, and which was one of the least important positions on the coaching staff. They elevated him to head coach, and it was just a disaster from, from play calling to the, the locker room environment, to press conferences. Nothing went well surrounding Freddie Kitchens. But uh, I think this offseason went really well. Uh, very uncharacteristic of a Cleveland Browns offseason. Let's put it that way. Um, they brought in tackled Jack Conklin from Tennessee. This is someone that I was really shocked the Titans couldn't keep around, but he, he was an all-pro right tackle his rookie year and was a very important part of their success last season. Uh, so they bring him, him in. Uh, they also brought in tight end Austin Hooper from Atlanta, who's coming off a career year. Just another target for, for Baker Mayfield. Uh, I love the Case Keenum signing. I think it puts some pressure on Baker. Uh, I think that this is going to really motivate him to elevate his play from last season. Uh, they brought in some veterans in, on the back end. you got Carl Joseph, the safety, who's, who's also coming off a career year uh, from the Raiders. Kevin Johnson comes over from Buffalo, who uh, he was really productive on uh, in that secondary as well. And then also defensive end Adrian Claiborne. You can plug him in for a few plays. Uh, good veteran presence um, all around for the Browns' defense. They did lose Joe Schobert, who was a tackling machine, and the other tackling machine, Christian Kirksey. These two were both pro bowlers, I believe, in the same season. Uh, ironically, the year they went 0-16. Um, they, they lose them. Schobert goes to Jacksonville. Kirksey goes to Green Bay. Um, uh, safety Demarius Randall, who was often injured last year. Uh, remember, they acquired him from the Packers. Uh, he's still a free agent. And then they, uh, addition by subtraction, perhaps, Greg Robinson is still unsigned. Uh, they, they let go of him. Guy, you still um, a little bitter about Greg Robinson? Just a little <laughs> bit? Um, in the draft, they uh, got offensive tackle Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. A lot of people say he is the best tackle in the draft. Um, I think... I think uh, you could have really gone in a lot of directions with their pick. They definitely filled the need um, at the tackle position by getting Wills. Um, safety Grant Delpit from LSU slipped to them in the second round. A lot of injury concerns around Delpit uh, from this season, but um, he, he went into the season last year as a potential top five pick. So the pedigree is still there, and I think Delpit's going to fit in really nicely in that secondary. And then they also got a, a steal in defensive tackle Jordan Elliott out of Missouri. A lot of people saw him in the second round. He ends up going in the third. 
They also got inside linebacker Jacob Phillips from LSU and uh, tight end Harrison Barrett from uh, he he played for Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. And they also got a good special teams co- contributor in Michigan man Donovan Donovan Peoples Jones. So you know I I I loved all these draft picks. A lot of them uh, were really good value picks all around. So I I really really like their draft. Um, I, I hope I don't get hit over the head for this one. The MVP of the team is still Miles Garrett. Um, he is coming back. Uh, people forget that he wasn't on the team, and uh, the, it, his presence on the field is is so crucial to the success success of this team. As soon as he left, the team really just kind of downward spiraled through the end of the year. So uh, bringing him back uh, is going to be a huge boost to the defense. And he's a, he's a guy that has defensive player of the year uh, potential every year. Uh, so Miles Garrett's going to be a huge boost. Uh, I'm sure they're really excited to have him back. Um, key ad, uh, I say both Wills and Conklin. Um, what, one of the big reasons I didn't believe in the Browns last year is because of the the disaster of the tackle position. They they had Greg Robinson and I don't even know who at right tackle. I I didn't think they were setting up Baker Me- Baker Mayfield to succeed uh, his second year even even though they brought in Odell Beckham uh and that proved to be true. They were one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year. Part of the reason why they were ranked 22nd in total offense. Bringing in a veteran like Conklin uh, and then a rookie in Wills who they can develop, I, I think really sets them up uh, uh, down the road. Oh, the wild card is Baker Mayfield. Um, well, uh, Freddie Kitchens gets a lot of heat for what happened to the Browns. So does Baker Mayfield. He's not absent of blame. But I, uh, I really think replacing Kitchens with uh, Kevin Stefanski is going to be a huge boost for the offense. Stefanski's coaching now in a similar offense to what he, uh, in, in terms of personnel, a similar um, offense to what he coached in Minnesota last year as offensive coordinator. You get, you get a guy like Mayfield who's not super athletic. He can move around a little bit. Um, you get a couple good receivers. Of course, in Minnesota, they had Thielen and Diggs. Now they have Beckham and Landry. Um, I think the tight ends are better. I think Hooper and Njoku are a really nice tandem. And then the big upgrade from Minnesota to Cleveland is definitely the tackles. Uh, you replace tackles that were much maligned in Minnesota with guys that uh, that you expect to perform well. So I think this is a – I love the Stefanski hiring. It was my favorite of the offseason, and I think uh, I think it's a great fit for everyone for everyone in the offense. Not, uh, the receivers, for Baker, um, I think it was a really good hire. Um, they replaced Steve Wilkes with Joe Woods. Joe Woods was the defensive backs coach for San Francisco last year. Underrated move. Uh, Steve Wilkes was a disaster as head coach of the Cardinals, and he was also a disaster as defensive coordinator for the Browns. Uh, they were 21st in total defense. Um, but uh, you got you still got young guys like Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, who I think is going to have a breakout year. Um, a lot of good good pieces. I, I do think the linebackers have, leave a little to be desired, but um, Rome wasn't built in just a day. So I think uh, I think you bring in some guys in next offseason, it, it'll take off even more. Um, overall, I give the Browns an A-, minus, and I, I can't remember the last time I felt good about a Browns offseason, but um, I, I think they did all the right things, really uh, really just kind of improved the, the picture surrounding the franchise. And you got to hope that that your former first overall pick uh, steps up in a big way, Baker Mayfield. So um, looking at their schedule, I think they go 10-6. They still play in a pretty difficult physical division. Um, so I think they probably split or go 4-2 and two in the division. But uh, they, they play a, a lot of really easy teams outside the division. So I think that's going to help them finally end the long-awaited playoff drought. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if the Browns get in. Yeah, Guy, I'm with you on that. I mean, I feel like every time we talk about the Browns, there's so much optimism that just falls short every single year. Uh, But I love their draft class this year. Um, I think Grant Delpit is a fantastic safety. I think he's Cam Chancellor-esque, both standing at 6'3", being able to play in the box. I really love that pick. Also, probably one of the most underrated picks in the draft, in my opinion, Donovan Peoples-Jones, the former five-star receiver, uh, going to Michigan. He didn't have too much success um, when you consider John Harbaugh's offense. You know, that's a little worrisome. But I think he has all the deep route running techniques. Um, He's able to really work out of the slot, but he's big enough that you could put him on the boundary. I really love his game. I think he's going to be a breakout, especially if they trade away Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, I think the Browns did a lot of good stuff this offseason. I agree 100% with the A-, minus, the 10-6 record. Um, they obviously need to replace Freddie Kitchens. Uh, it was a disastrous season for them. Um, but, but what are they going to do on the goal line? I, 
he Freddie Kitchens loves the pitch on the goal line. If it, it was the Buffalo game, week ten, he I think it, I think he pitched like five or six times. They had and they, they were a bunch of they had like eight tries because I forget who they were playing, but uh, were there were penalties too. Calls. Yeah, yeah, and and they just kept running this silly pitch play to Chubb, and Chubb's a great running back, and he's going to benefit benefit a lot from Stefanski, but eventually defenses pick up on what you're doing in the NFL. Yeah, running backs pitch, coaches might not know that. You pitched a thousand times. Definitely interesting. I, I, I think it's great that he's gone. But now we're going to shift over to an, probably my, my favorite team. Not probably. It is my favorite team in the AFC North and the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Steelers fan. Um, I'm actually wearing yellow right now. But it's more of a maze, so it's more of a Michigan color. So um, let's shout out to our correspondent, Sal Marino. Uh, he's a big Michigan fan. But uh, we're going to go over the Steelers offseason, which they didn't really do much. You can't really do much when you don't have a lot of your cap space. So, like, they, they improved some parts of the offense. So, first off, they added Eric Ebron, the tight end. Um, he was a pro bowler a couple years ago with the Colts, um, quality piece. They added uh, Derek Watt, fullback, um, Stefan Winsniewski, an O-lineman, and Chris Wormley, an um, defensive end. So definitely not a lot of huge additions here. Obviously, the biggest one is probably Ebron or Winsniewski, but um, definitely some quality ones. I know, like, when Roosevelt Nix was here, he was the Steelers' former fullback. Uh, that running game was fantastic. He was a great blocking fullback and won the best of the game. So Derek Watt, Derek Watt his addition might prove to be – Pretty quality in, the, in that running game. But, like, overall, um, not a lot of key additions. Chris Chris Wormley, Michigan man. I'm a Michigan man. Um, we'll see how he does. He's not supposed to be, like, a breakout. He's more of, a, like, a deaf player. But, like, another addition that I love, and I know it's not an addition from another team, but is Ben Roethlisberger. It's still an addition because he missed, all, like, all of last year. So that they went 9-7 and seven with two putrid quarterbacks. And <laughs> they were just terrible. So adding Roethlisberger back is huge. And also Stefan Tuitt. People don't remember Stefan Tuitt was injured for most of the year. So adding him back to that really good defense really helped him out. But also with, with a lot of teams, they lose a lot of players. So Ramon Foster, that's a huge huge loss for them. Mark Barron, he's actually still a free agent. So if someone wants to pick him up, you can go ahead. He had a um, pretty decent year. And Anthony Ciccolo, I'm glad he's gone. He had a domestic violence charge against him. So... That those are the, some of the losses. So not a lot of huge losses for the Steelers, but um, not like huge gains. So it's gonna be kind of like this a similar roster from last year. So another addition we can look at the draft is Chase Claypool. So they didn't have a first round pick, so they traded that for Mika Fitzpatrick. Worked out wonders for them. But Chase Claypool, physical receiver from Notre Dame, he was added in the second round. They added on linebacker Alex Highsmith, running back Anthony McFarlane, and O lineman Kevin Dodson. So not like the best draft I've ever seen, but definitely improved in some pieces of their roster. Um, and I've heard Anthony McFarland could be a breakout candidate at running back. I also heard he could be a backup. So it's definitely interesting. Um, Chase Claypool, I, I love the physicality he brings. Uh, he's physical, fast. So definitely could be a breakout candidate with Ben Roethlisberger back. The so next we're going to go into the MVPs of the team. And I have, actually have two. So the I have MVP from last year, and that's Mika Fitzpatrick. And, and it's not even a question. He was the MVP from last year. The first two games they played, they were giving up 50 points per game. And when they added him to the roster, um, they just, I think the average was 17 points per game they were giving up. So definitely improved the defense. But I think overall, the MVP of the whole team, I think the best player in the roster, and the MVP for next year is going to be TJ Watt. TJ Watt is an absolute freak. Um, top three in Defensive Player of the Year um, award honors. Um, probably will win one. Pretty soon, uh, he can do everything. One of the most unique linemen out there. Um, great pass rusher. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, I think he'll be a absolute stun this league for years to come. So those are my two MVPs. And for my breakout candidate, um, one of, probably definitely my favorite player in the Steelers. Definitely Devin Bush, uh, another Michigan man. Uh, last year had 102 tackles, a couple forced fumbles, pick six. Um, he's a really fast linebacker, one of the fastest in the game. Fastest in the game. Uh, his coverage is decent; like it improved throughout the year. But uh, I think he'll break out coming next year. Um, I, I know a lot of scouts have said they compared him to Bobby Wagner, which is huge. If you can get Bobby Wagner on your roster, why wouldn't you take that? So I think when they traded up to get him at number ten um, in last year's draft, it was a huge move by the Steelers. 
Um, so, so for some key ads, um, I have to say Eric Ebron, maybe. Um, Eric Ebron is Stefan Wisniewski, because Wisniewski's going to fill in for uh, Foster, who wasn't like an all-pro, Pro Bowl um, lineman, but still, his loss is huge. But also, um, Eric Ebron, uh, they haven't been getting a lot from the tight end position since Heath Miller retired, so this could be an interesting pick. I know he's very motivated to play. Uh, he's very excited to play for Ben Roethlisberger, so maybe a change of scenery will be huge for him. So I think that's some of the key ads for the team. Um, some wild cards. I also have two for this one, too. Uh, I first said Bud Dupree. He had a big year this year, getting a double-digit sacks. Can you do that again? Uh, we will see. But another wild card is Ben Roethlisberger. So, like, he's coming off of that um, arm surgery. So that's going to be interesting to see how he does coming off of that surgery. Um, I I think he'll be fine, like, in you know, the whole offseason. I know a lot of people have um, questioned his workout regime outside and it's off-season workouts but um i think it'll be fine and i think a big thing is what people aren't looking at is they had a nine and seven record last year i and they had two horrible quarterbacks and if you look at the games they played i think it was to week two was close against seattle ben roethlisberger was injured that game so that was a one possession game another game was they almost beat they actually almost beat san francisco they that was a they I think they lost 28 to 24, and that was a close game. So if you if you're adding Ben Roethlisberger to these games, they're probably going to turn out with a victory because the defense is really good. Another game was the Ravens. They went to OT against the Ravens, and this is all with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges. Like if you fill in Ben Roethlisberger in those games, they're obviously going to come out with a better result. Like they lost to the Jets by one possession. They lost to the Ravens again at the end of the year against RG3. Like, they were getting no production from the quarterback position. So once you add Roethlisberger back, a veteran um, Hall of Famer who knows how to play the game, I think will be a great addition to the team. So for my offseason grade, I gave him a B minus, maybe a C plus. I, I there's not much you can do when you have when you don't have that much money. So in the cap, so it's gonna be interesting. Um, like I said, Keon could be Ben Roethlisberger too. So it's, I I think they're gonna be fine this year. My projected record is 16 and 0. And that, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with 10-6 and six because they have an easier schedule this year, and that defense is really good. And once you add Roethlisberger back into the mix, with uh, he has a lot of unique weapons in the running back position. The running back position is pretty deep for them. Wide receiver isn't as deep as it used to be, but still he has a lot of great options. The O-line, like a lot. Like I know they lost Foster, but you still got still got Villanueva. You still got DeCastro. still got Pouncey. So, I think they have a lot of great pieces. Mike Tomlin's a good coach. He was one of the best coaches last year when dealing with a lot of injured players. So I think they're going to go 10-6. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of pressure on Ben, you know, coming back. Uh, you already know, as you said, Paul, the defense is fantastic. Uh, guys like Fitzpatrick, Bush, TJ Watt, um, Cameron Hayward, Tewitt. Uh, I mean, those are all franchise players. So uh, you feel good about the defense and Joe Hayden. I forgot to mention him. But, um, uh, yeah, a lot rides on Ben and how he comes back from the so shoulder injury. Uh, uh, the last time Ben was on the field, so was Antonio. Uh, actually, he wasn't because that was week 17. But last full season, Ben was on the field, so was Antonio Brown. He's no longer there. A lot uh, rides on Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a lot of injuries last or dealt with injuries throughout most of last season. Um, you hope he comes back strong with the, with the help of Roethlisberger. Some of the games that they lost that season were to, were to bad teams. So, I mean, uh, I don't think they're out of the woods, and the division's really hard. But, hey, if Ben comes back on fire, uh, this team is really dangerous. Yeah, but with bad teams, they had horrible quarterbacks playing. Like, it was just awful to watch. And, like like you said, like, Juju Smith-Schuster was injured some, somewhat of last year. But, like, also, he, he wasn't getting many balls or, like, really good thrown to him. And also, James Conner was hurt last year, so I think it's going to be interesting. Um, they definitely have the pieces to contend. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of pressure on Ben, you know, coming back. Uh, you already know, as you said, Paul, the defense is fantastic. Uh, guys like Fitzpatrick, Bush, TJ Watt, um, Cameron Hayward, Tewitt. Uh, I mean, those are all franchise players, so uh, you feel good about the defense. And Joe Hayden, I forgot to mention him. But... Um, uh, yeah, a lot rides on Ben and how he comes back from the so shoulder injury. Uh, uh, the last time Ben was on the field, so was Antonio. Uh, actually, he wasn't because that was week 17. But last full season, Ben was on the field, so was Antonio Brown. He's no longer there. A lot uh, rides on Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a lot of injuries last or dealt with injuries throughout most of last season. Um, you hope he comes back strong with the, with the help of Roethlisberger. 
some of the games that they lost that season were to, were to bad teams. So, I mean, uh, I don't think they're out of the woods, and the division's really hard. But, hey, if Ben comes back on fire, uh, this team is really dangerous. Yeah, but with bad teams, they had horrible quarterbacks playing. Like, it was just awful to watch. And, like like you said, like, Juju Smith-Schuster was injured some, somewhat of last year. But, like, also, he, he wasn't getting many balls or, like, really good thrown to him. And also, James Conner was hurt last year. So, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, they definitely have the pieces to contend. But I think if you if it's, like, anyone else, like, let's just say, um, like, a like um, quarterback who's, like, two to three years in the league gets hurt, then he comes back. I wouldn't trust him as much. But it's Ben Roethlisberger. Like, he knows what he's doing. Um, he's a veteran quarterback. So, I'm not too worried. But I'm... I'm a little bit hesitant. We'll, we'll see what happens. With the easier schedule, I'm not as worried about this team. Don't forget about the insane weapon he has in Chase Claypool now. I mean, the guy is six foot three and a half inches tall. He's got 235 pounds on his build, and he ran a 4-4-3 at the combine. This guy's pretty much, uh, if you think of Evan Ingram, he's Evan Ingram with more strength and more power, and he's playing in the wide receiver position. I'm really excited to see what he can do opposite of Juju, of Juju Smith-Schuster now that Juju's probably going to have double teams on him most of the game. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch Chase Kalipu, a.k.a. Deadpool. That's what I call him. So uh, <laughs> he, he's a physical freak. Like he, You can compare him to like the Josh Gordon types where like, they're just absolute like, out of this world. I don't know how they would put on this planet, but they're just absolute freaks like him, DK Metcalf. So it's going to be interesting for the Steelers. Obviously, they got to contend against the Baltimore Ravens, which Thor is going to break down next. They are um, definitely favored to win the AFC North with a stacked roster. They definitely improved this offseason with their team. So, Thor, let's break down the Baltimore Ravens. <clears throat> yeah, definitely, Paul. Ravens coming off one of their best seasons in a while. I mean, t- tough um, ending, obviously, running into the hot Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry. But some of the additions the Ravens made – they really vamped up their uh, pass rush in trading for Calais Campbell from the Jacksonville Jaguars and also adding um, defensive end Derek Wolf on a one-year contract, which I really liked. Justin Ellis at the D-tackle position, and then DJ Fluker at guard. And DJ Fluker was um, brought on due to one of the lo- major losses on the offensive line with Marshall Yonda, the longtime guard on the Ravens, who retired. They also lost Hayden Hurst, the tight end, that they like to use in different... They run a lot of different three tight end sets for Lamar and the option plays, and he got traded to the Falcons for the second-round pick. That was actually the pick that the Patriots traded to the Falcons to get Mohamed Sanu. I mean, great trade when you look at it for the Pats. But uh, And then another loss, uh, Tony Jefferson. I mean, a lot of the season he didn't play after tearing his ACL, but that allowed Chuck Clark to step up and he actually ended up getting a three-year deal out of it while they just let Jefferson walk so it was kind of win-win for the Ravens to find what kind of talent they had behind them then the draft one of the most coveted picks Patrick Queen the linebacker from LSU who's marked as one of the best linebackers in this draft he played very well down the stretch and got defensive player of the game for the national championship game down the line he's explosive he can go all over the field very fast. And then also in the second round, the pick that they got with the Hearst trade, J.K. Dobbins, a good old Buckeye who we love. I mean, he was an absolute beast last year. He was just running all rampant all over the ground. I mean, I like this addition with the with the Ravens, how they like to ground and pound a lot. I mean, when you don't have Lamar running, you have Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards. you got a bunch of like downhill runners, north to south guys that can just absolutely destroy you we'll see what jk dobbins can do i mean he can't play michigan every time i mean now in the nfl but still good things looking up for him and then they also added devin duvernay who's a wide receiver from uh, texas who was one of the big he got honorary mentioned big 12 offensive player of the year then another buckeye they added a linebacker in malik harrison and then, not not as a surprise, the MVP of this team, I think, again, it's going to go, run through Lamar Jackson. I mean, you look at him last year's QBR is one of the best in the league. His touchdown-interception ratio was unreal, out of this world. And he kind of proved to people that he could run the ball and also still throw it from the pocket. And, I mean, he has the weapons around him to do with Hollywood Brown really stepped up. Then you got Mark Andrews. And I think it's just his ceiling. It's just up from here for Lamar Jackson, honestly. And I thought the key ad for them 
was getting Calais Campbell. I feel like with already a good defense in Baltimore, that's they've historically always had well-coached defenses. I feel like adding on more pass rush would be good for them as, since they already have a great secondary in getting Marcus Peters last year. They re-signed Jimmy Smith. They have Marlon Humphrey. I mean, they're basically stacked on the defensive side of the ball. And then a wild card for me is one of their wide receivers in Miles Boykin. He was actually one of the receivers drafted last year in the third round. And he's 6'4", 220, and he ran a 4.42 with the draft. But he didn't. He kind of had a disappointing season last year where he only had 13 receptions for 198 yards but scored three touchdowns. I guess in the preseason he looked pretty good, but him and Lamar Jackson just couldn't get on the same page. But, I mean, with that big frame, I think 6'4 would be really big if you have him next to... Also Hollywood Brown, and then also thrown to Mark Andrews with Lamar always having being a threat to run, so it should be interesting. And then my breakout player is Matthew Judon. He had he is unreal. He is a great pass rusher. He keeps going up. He's keep upping his level of sacks each year. They keep increasing. He had nine sacks last year, and then the Ravens use the franchise tag on him, so he's basically playing for a contract. So I think he's going to absolutely play out of his mind this year, in my opinion. And their offseason grade, I would just give them a B plus. I mean, there's some guys that they were able to re-sign, some guys they let go of, and they were able to add some valued additions. And I feel like their record would be twelve and four. Yeah, the uh, I this this was the best record in the NFL, I believe, last season. They went thirteen and three, uh, and they seem to get better. Um, Patrick Queen is going to step into a huge role. He was the first round pick that kind of slipped to them. Uh, we'll get be- we'll get to that in a few weeks. Why the Packers didn't take Patrick Queen, but uh, he's he's got a big role already. He's going to be the he's going to be the quarterback of the defense. Uh, like like you said, Thor, a lot of guys on uh, pass rushing. They got three really good corners um, already, and then obviously Earl Thomas and safety. So I, the defensive unit, um, I think they have as good as they were last year. I think they got to step up and play even better. Uh, in order to help Lamar Jackson kind of get over that hap, uh, over the hump of winning a playoff game, so uh, that's definitely the next step for this Ravens team. Uh, no excuses anymore. Yeah, definitely, I agree, guy. I mean, if you just look at that defense, it's uh, honestly stacked, and like I said, with the honestly, their pass rushes keep getting better, and if you have those guys, obviously in the secondary, I mean, I think Lamar is going to get all the help he can get this year. Yeah, I think the Ravens did a lot to improve the team, but I just want to say something short about the offseason. J.K. Dobbins, I think, is an absolute freak and will definitely help them out in the offense and create it's kind of a unique unique outlook and a unique setup that can really destroy other teams' defenses. So I think that's going to be huge for them. But now let's move on to another really big, interesting piece of news that's come up. Uh, Guy, can you go over this, this Dak Prescott thing? Yeah, so as Jake said earlier in the show, he's looking for upwards of $40 million a year now. Uh, but more specifically, it's in his final year. He's looking for $45 million and probably looking for somewhere around 35 to $37 million a year for the first uh, four or five years of the New Deal. I have reservations about this. Um, what do you guys think? Are the Cowboys right to be hesitant, or has Dak earned this paycheck? I think the Cowboys are right to be hesitant. I mean, if you look at that team, there's a lot of outstanding contracts that aren't going to be over for another three, four years. Obviously, you re-signed last season Amari Cooper. You got the Ezekiel Elliott extension. You have Jalen Smith being extended a couple years ago despite uh, Zeke's contract extension. Demarcus Lawrence is still on the books. The only, I mean, maybe two or three guys, Sean Lee... Coming off the books, you know, gives you a little bit of cap space. Not $45 million worth of cap space, mind you. So I think they they should be worrying right now. Oh, I think they absolutely should be worried. Like, this $45 million a year? Oh, man, for Dak Prescott. Like, he's been good. Like, don't get me wrong. He's been, he's, he's been a good quarterback, but he's not worth $45 million. That's a lot of money, especially they spent so much on their team the last few years. It's gonna be interesting. I don't. I think they're right to be hesitant. Um, I don't think he's earned his paycheck like forty five million. I think like like but like I don't I don't blame him for asking. Like why not? But like I think thirty to thirty five is good for him. Like he's he's been a good quarterback. Um, I don't think he's earned forty five. But I think he's been pretty quality so so far in his career. I'll paint a picture. Uh, the The Cowboys played the Eagles in Philadelphia 
last season in a kind of a season deciding game for the NFC East division. And Dak Prescott rolled in there with a, with Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Randall Cobb, Michael Gallup, loaded offense, great offensive line. And Carson Wentz rolled into Philadelphia with Dallas Goddard, a broken down Zach Ertz, JJ Arcega Whiteside and former AAF quarterback, Greg Ward Jr. And the Cowboys lost that game 17-9. to Dak Prescott threw for 25 for 44, which is not a good completion rate and no touchdowns. And Carson Wentz threw for 31 for, 31 for 40, upwards of 75% completion rate, 319 yards, and a score. Um, and Carson Wentz is making an average of $32 million. He single-handedly carried the Eagles to the playoffs. The Cowboys went 8-8, eight and eight and Dak Prescott's asking for what? Um, yeah, I, I don't like this. I don't like this at all for the Cowboys. If they decide to cave and do this, I think uh, they're... They should be very, very worried. But uh, you know what? Uh, Dak is Dak's not going to hold out or anything. So if he proves that he's worth that much this year, good for him. <laughs> they can go ahead and do it. I I agree, guy. That's exactly I was going to bring up next uh, before you said about that um, Philadelphia game where you saw Carson Wentz literally with absolutely nothing to work with, and Dak had everything in his power for the Cowboys to have that like must-win game where they've come up like short in a lot of games like they did last year where they've those must wins to get into the playoffs I feel like if he won that game yeah he has a bargaining chip to say oh I brought you to the playoffs I got this like must win game but when you lose to a broken down Eagles team like that and you have everyone there's no excuses yeah absolutely and it's gonna be interesting to see how the Cowboys do this year they have a lot of pressure on them all right, next we're going to head into the MLB segment. And not much news going on with the MLB. Um, like we said last week, uh, players' negotiations, it was definitely, tensions were high. Um, players were angry about having their salaries cut. And it looks like tensions were even higher <laughs> this week. Uh, I don't know how that's even possible, but it was possible after the MLB PA email was leaked to the media. So it's like, like the um, email probably saying like all their stuff about like how they want salary they want their full salaries and all that stuff but they're complaining about wanting all their money so definitely not a good look for mlb um and like we said last week they'll lose 500k per game with empty stadiums but definitely not a good look but it just came out a couple days ago that negotiations were going a lot, a lot, a lot smoother and um like they, the players might compromise so that's that's good for mlb definitely something they need um they definitely need uh their sport out there right now because I think the players finally realize that with MLB being shut down for a whole year, that's horrible for the sport. Horrible. And with the NBA and NHL coming back, which we will get into in just a second, guys will go over that, with the NBA and NHL coming back, that's huge. That's huge for their sports. MLB is dying. They're, like, they're losing fans. They're losing their, their average amount of fans. They go to the ballparks. It's going down. Their viewership's going down. The time of games is going up which is weird because they're supposed to be cutting down on the games, but it's, it's just a whole hot mess, and I think MLB should come back um, at the right cost, with the risk and everything, but now let's hand, but the NBA, the NBA is making some serious strides for coming back for the, for the uh, postseason. Guy, can you discuss that a little bit? Yeah, so this week, uh, Commissioner Adam Silver released a survey to the general managers around the league uh, regarding how many teams get into the playoffs. Uh, the results of those still await. I assume the survey's complete, but they're just not being made public. Um, the Knicks uh, are one team that are currently out of the playoff picture that would uh, that would be in under a 24 or 30 team uh, team format. They've been told by the league to prepare for a return to training by early to mid-June. So that's like a week or two from now. Uh, so that lends to the idea that they will implement uh, a 24 or full 30 team play in tournament. Uh, so that's that's huge. Uh, I, I, the league has kind of beat around the bush with experimenting with this kind of play in tournament idea with all 30 teams. So I, I think in these unique circumstances, it, it, why not give it a shot? Um, so so I think uh, I think this this could be really interesting if this uh, ends up getting implemented. Uh, one team that's been in the news this week is the Utah Jazz. Um, of course, they were kind of the team uh, that was around the center of the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic with uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell being the first two uh, positive test, uh, positive diagnosis in the NBA. 
Um, Boyan Bogdanovich, he went, he underwent wrist surgery, uh, so he'll he's out until uh, at least November. So if the NBA does come back, they'll be without their best three point shooter and a guy that quietly averaged twenty points a game this year. I didn't uh, realize that he was uh, he was doing that well. So that's a huge loss for Utah. And then on top of that, a guy that would probably fill up that role is Joe Ingles, who really is just a three point shooter. Uh, he claims that he will not return to play under any circumstances due to health concerns and just protecting his family and whatnot. So uh, this is um, this is a blow for Utah. Uh, they still, uh, Mitchell and Gobert, there have been reports throughout this entire quarantine that their relationship has been strained. So uh, just to see the two of their other starters at forward, um, they won't be playing. Um, that, uh, that's a huge blow for a team that uh, that has real potential uh, to, be one, uh, to be a threat in the Western Conference playoffs. And then uh, lastly, uh, Orlando and Disney World, they've, uh, they have emerged as the lead frontrunner uh, as a bubble location for the postseason. Uh, the league has begun those log- logistical discussions. Um, there is a strong belief that there is enough housing, at least in the area, for all NBA teams uh, participating in the postseason. So uh, that's a huge deal, uh, just to kind of have one set location uh, and to have uh, the whole league kind of come together during this time. And uh, crowd a champion ultimately, so I think that's a it's a huge deal. Um, I'm really really excited for the NBA to come back, and uh, really uh, really I think we all just need sports to come back, and uh, just to see that uh, that we may have something in in a month or two from now is uh, is really something to look forward to. Then we move to the NHL. Uh, which there's also been a huge development in that arena. Uh, teams voted on a 2014 playoff format, the one I detailed last week. Um, two teams voted against it, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Carolina uh, Carolina would face the Rangers in a 6-seed versus 11-seed play-in, uh, play-in game, or sorry, play-in series. Um, so they voted against it. Uh, really no... Uh, no uh, no openings on why they did that. Uh, but Tampa Bay, they would have been one of the top four seeds in the Eastern Conference, and they would have played a round-robin tor- tournament against the other three top four teams. So I, I don't really understand why they voted against it either. But one of their forwards, Alex Kalorn, said that uh, teams at a play-in series would have an unfair advantage over teams with buys because they're playing in more intense life-or-death games. I really don't get that. I think they're really just scared of the postseason in general after one of the most embarrassing uh, eliminations in playoff history to the Columbus Blue Jackets last year, but that's neither here nor there. Um, other teams like the Penguins and Oilers have expressed concern uh, with the format just because of X-Factor players like Carey Price and Patrick Kane. They're among the elite in the league that are on bad teams like Montreal and Chicago that would be in uh, in this format. So they've expressed concern with guys like that having an impact on on their uh, like P- P- Pittsburgh and Edmonton have had very good years. Montreal and Chicago have not, but elite players would be most likely to show up, uh, just kind of show up to the ice and have uh, have a real impact on winning. So they're afraid that their good season will go to waste to teams that are not very good. Uh, so that's just another thing that uh, that's been um, discussed between the NHL. They've agreed to further negotiation with the teams and players, uh, but it does seem to have positive momentum. Um, and they, uh, one obstacle that they are going to be able to avoid, I was going to bring this up until yesterday, but uh, the travel ban between the U.S. and Canada was uh, extended 30 days, but then President Trump came out and said that professional athletes are exempt from this travel ban. So that's a, definitely a big deal for the NHL in particular and uh, getting their season resumed. But uh, for both leagues, it seems like it's going to happen, at least in the late July, early August, once they get all the... Once they get all the the playoff formats and all other logistics sorted out, and player safety obviously at the forefront of that. Yeah, I mean it's it's really exciting. I I'm happy that we can have sports back eventually, even if it is in this kind of you know March Madness tournament style esque competition. I think it's good for teams too because you know you can really try out different things with these leagues that a traditional season wouldn't allow for. You can be kind of experimental and and see, you know, could these things work in the future for maybe an all-star weekend type situation. And uh, like Paul said, and this is really kind of the tough predicament that baseball is in, in which players won't will refuse to play. But uh, viewership is already really high for the NBA in particular. And and for the NHL, viewership is super high for the playoffs. So if you get more teams in there, you're going to get that much more viewership on top of the already inflated viewership from simply people being at home social distancing. 
So this is this is re- really big for not just sports but just the economy in general. So uh, definitely definitely just a good thing all around to see uh, to see uh, po- a positive attitude towards getting these seasons restarted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I have one issue with one of the, the NHL segment points here. Penguins and Oilers are concerned with X Factor players. I don't understand that at all. You, you, <laughs> I, I, it's you're weird. Good, you're good teams. You can beat them. Why are you worried about that? No. And the other- and, and they're, they're worried about X-Factor players. Let's keep in mind, the Oilers have the best player in hockey, Connor yes. McDavid. They have the likely the Hart Trophy winner, Leon Dreisaitl. And the Penguins have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Talk about X-Factor X players. They have at least two. Sidney Crosby's a teams. freak. I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what they're, they're doing. And also, like, another point is, you have a chance to win a championship this year, or you could just not play. So what do you want to do? Do you want to not play, or do you want to have a chance to win the championship? And, and if you're if you're really good enough, you should have no problem yeah. with Montreal and Chicago. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're worried about Montreal and Chicago, just don't even just throw yourself out of the playoffs. Just just do that. If you're the Penguins <laughs> and the Oilers, come on, that's ridiculous. That that's their boneheads of the week. Them. <laughs> I I can't get over that. And Alex Cloyne, uh says teams in the playing series would have an unfair advantage. Um, I mean. I wouldn't think so, like maybe with like an injury, but like usually you want to keep continuing to play. Like you don't want to just take time off. Like teams usually take a lot of time off before getting into a postseason series. Usually don't do well. Usually it's the teams that like I, uh... play, like have a seven game series and are fresh. They usually do well in the series, but I, I don't know what Alex Coleman's doing. He should know better. He's a veteran. Um, he was also on Tampa last year. He's just—they're afraid of the postseason. Yeah. Let's, be, let's be real here. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and also like Carolina had to face the Rangers. Just, just play. Just you want to play hockey, you have a chance to win. Just go out there and play. I don't. I just have an issue with all those NHL points. Like it's crazy. Like just play. It's unbelievable. Yeah. MLB. ML, I, I, I think the other issue here is that I think there's going to be a lot of players that show up not in season shape. I think we're going to have a lot of people making mental mistakes on the ice. I think we're going to have people showing up who, you know, maybe they aren't fully ready to compete. I, I think that's a bigger concern that some teams should be having, um, especially especially with a sport like hockey. Like, not all these players have access to a rink right now. It's going to be rough to see some people hitting the ice for the first time in three months. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Definitely a ramp up period is something I didn't mention, but that's definitely something that's gonna need to happen of at least like two to three weeks just to get players uh, back acclimated to being on the ice. And it's just a really weird circumstances because they're gonna be going into postseason games in definitely not postseason shape. <laughs> so um, uh, not only for hockey but for basketball too, they got to get their shooting touch back, kind of their feel for the game. Um, so. So that that's definitely something else that's going to need to be worked out. Uh, but it seems like more states are uh, like today. Governor Cuomo from New York, uh, he has uh, advised teams that it's okay to reopen practice facilities. So that's a big step in the right direction to see an area that was hit so hard by the pandemic uh, kind of moving uh, move in that direction. True. Open up practice facilities. Let, let's not forget that the New York Knicks at the beginning of this season or at the beginning of this quarantine tried to uh, say that they would play until the government shut them down. Then until yeah, the yeah. National Guard closed the doors. <laughs> oh boy, National Guard. But on Guy's point though, about people getting their touch back at the NBA, I was gonna mention how I was reading earlier this week about the NBA, if they decide to go with the season and play in Orlando, it was gonna be like a summer league format where it's kinda of like March Madness where what two teams play each other and the next two teams go on the court. So it could be like nonstop basketball all day, which I would find very entertaining. And I think the ratings would be through the roof if people are just gonna keep consuming basketball like that i know i would yeah absolutely uh i i just back to the knicks for a second like who's who doesn't want to watch knicks playoff basketball oh god (laughs) i think we were i think i think i think we've all been deprived i can't wait to see rj barrett (laughs) shoot with the wrong hand after quarantine maybe that's what he's been doing all quarantine working on his right it's what the view jake it's what the viewers want um i do kind of hope if they if they end up doing the Disney World plan, that the NBA, NBA sets up the courts like um, if you guys have played 2K before, like the the 2K backcourt, like where they just have courts all around and they're playing like three oh, games yes, at absolutely. once. Absolutely, yeah, that would be awesome. I I have seen pictures of the practice facility uh, that the uh, the Orlando Magic use it for summer league for the summer league games as well. 
it's a lot like that except i believe it's all indoors oh that'd be awesome so definitely yeah. it, you know it's it's gonna be really cool i think it, it's something that will have a lasting impact on nba fans and sports fans just to remember 2020 was the year that we had to wait until july and they had to play in a practice facility but i think it's going to be a really cool environment uh, and on and definitely as we said last week all the players, they want to get back out there and play, whether they're contending or not. Like Steph Curry, he wants to get out there and play. The Warriors were eliminated from the playoffs. So I think that speaks volumes to just how badly these players want to get back uh, get back going. Yeah, and like just playing on practice facilities is better than nothing. So like it's not bad. But Absolutely. also, like bringing back to the March Madness point, um, a big thing about March Madness and why it's so popular and people love it is because they're like, upsets. They're big upsets that could really shake the whole brackets. Like everyone's like... Mi- filling out the whole brackets and everything, and upsets can shake it up. This could be the same thing with the NBA. I would love to see the New York Knicks hoisting the NBA championship trophy. That would be amazing. <laughs> if the Knicks won, that's a Cinderella story. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like That's what I want to see. New York Knicks, New York Rangers. Let's have a big New York party. They deserved it. They've had a lot of lot of issues with the coronavirus. They deserve some championship right now. And some uh, like, really... No one expected it, so some upsets. I think it'll be huge. I'm going to propose something <laughs> right now. Again, I can't laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they should do for this for this season, for if they want to do the tournament style, they could even, like, name everything after Kobe. They they could do, like, a coat. Instead of the regular uh, Larry O'Brien trophy, they could do, like, Kobe Bryant trophy. I think that would be interesting to do. Yeah, I mean they did that with the All Star Game yeah. too. I, they've they've really they've the NBA has done a great job experimenting. They've done it with the All Star Game over the past few years with like the 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 draft for the All Star Game, and then uh, I loved the uh, like the twenty four second uh, kind of pickup style fourth quarter. I thought that was really successful. So I, I, under unique circumstances, why not go crazy? Yeah. I, I think it would be great for great for the they viewers. could honestly turn this into like some type of off season event. I mean, something to go alongside the Las Vegas Summer League. I, I think that this has real potential to develop past you know the twenty twenty season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, no, I, absolutely. I think it's huge. All right. All right, next we're going to head in. I know we don't usually talk about golf. Um, we don't usually do that. But uh, when you have Peyton Manning and Tom Brady playing against each other with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, I think it's in the news. So we're going to go to the match, which was actually it aired today. And I'm going to kick it over to Jake Sullivan to break this down. Oh, you're going to kick it over to Guy Saruby, actually. Oh, you watched the match? Yeah, I watched quite... Yeah, I watched quite a bit of it today. It was uh, it was a really cool deal. They raised a lot of money uh, for the COVID nineteen relief fund, and uh, just having four of the most iconic athletes of our time, you know, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, definitely definitely attracted a lot of viewers. Um, Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods ended up winning uh, by a score of plus one. So it's not like a typical golf tournament. They play as in relative to each other. Um, so it, it was really awesome. Like each hole had a different stipulation, uh, whether it was, they called them the amateurs, but Brady or Manning, uh, going for the hole or, or Mickelson and Woods or a combination of the two. So I, I think it was really cool. Um, you got to, got a good look at Brady and Manning's golf skills. Uh, Brady really struggled at the beginning, but, uh, he, he hit a, a long shot from the fairway on the eighth hole and it seemed to get him going because then he hit an eagle putt. Uh, I believe on hole eleven. So they they were Tom really struggled at the beginning, kind of got he, he and Phil down. Uh, I believe it was down three, but then they were able to come back. But uh, Tiger Woods was uh, Tiger Woods was really good today, and Peyton's not a bad golfer either. He kind of kept kept them afloat. Yeah, kept them. Tiger Woods. So is, I think it was a really Tiger Woods is probably still it, salty it, from his uh his other um uh golf golf uh, match against Phil Mickelson for yes. charity. He's definitely mad about that. <laughs> And finally get some bragging rights right now. <laughs> I I don't think Tiger Woods needs any more bragging rights than he already does. <laughs> it is true. I'll say that. <laughs> but on, honestly, I do love the idea of the match. I think this was a great idea for quarantine. Um, and I'd love to see it again. There are tons of pro athletes who golf, you know, that that's just a hobby that they like to enjoy. Um, at the top of my head, there is Tony Romo. Um, I believe was featured in an amateur pros tournament. Um, Steph Curry is almost always Curry loves to yeah, golf. Yeah, he loves yep. to golf. 
Um, and if you've ever seen one of my favorite videos, Mike Trout at Top Shot Golf, uh, just killing drives. I mean, there are so <laughs> many, you know, unique matchups you could do between pros and pros in other sports. I think that they should do this again, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Drew Brees, Drew Brees says he wants, he wants to play the winner. Plus, like, you have Charles Barkley as the commentator, too. Like, this is a perfect setup. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's so funny. <laughs> and he loves golf, too. So if you put him in there, too, it would probably be entertaining. Like, if you do Charles Barkley and Shaq against each other. Oh, my that's gosh. That's an interesting, <laughs> interesting idea. So I think you need, like, rivalries. You can't just do, like, random people. You need some, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, Tom, t- like, the two we got today, they're, they're definitely rivals. Tiger and Phil is a great rivalry in golf, and... Tom and Peyton, obviously, in football, and you get get them all kind of kind of the same playing field, and uh, def, definitely a cool event today. I really enjoyed watching it, and it was a good match. It, it was a good match. Uh, just a, it was really competitive. So, um, it, all around, very good. Yeah, absolutely, and something we definitely needed during this quarantine. But right now, we are all out of time. I know it's, it's sad. I know our podcast is done for this week. But um, you can check out our podcast from last week and our podcast from this week on Spotify, Apple Music, or any any platform you really listen to podcasts on. You can check us out. We are Hot Takes for Bryant University students, bringing you sweet, energetic sports content. Thank you so much for listening, and, and join us next week for another episode of Hot Takes. Thank you. <laughs>